Shopping for insurance can be time-consuming. That's why when it comes to your auto and home insurance needs, make things simple and trust the experts at Allstate. They help you get the coverage that fits your needs while helping you bundle your auto and home. Bundling saves you money and time, so you can enjoy the things that matter most. Contact Haymarket agent Rick Robertson or tap the banner to learn more. Are you in good hands? Not available in every state. Subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company, Allstate Property and Casualty Insurance Company, Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company, and Affiliates. Hey, let me ask you something. How's the lettuce looking up top? Are you graying out? Do you look older than you actually are? Experience Control GX from Just For Men. The first shampoo with a brain. So what makes it so smart? It reduces gray the same way it grows in gradually. The more you shampoo with Control GX, the less gray you have. Simply use it until, just use it until you like what you see. Now how smart is that? Smart enough to be voted men's hair care product of the year. Gradually reduce gray with the first shampoo with a brain. Find Control GX in the shave aisle. That's Control GX. And find some better lettuce on your dome. Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Because the hope going into last night's game was Boston-Cleveland, that that would be a close game. Let's face it, the matchups in the postseason have not been close. The hope going in last night then was that Boston would bounce back, the game would at least be close, or interesting, or competitive. Come to find out, of course, it was none of the above. The Cavs jump out to a 34-18 lead. They lead by double digits for most of the night, and they win that game going away 111-102. And yet, that was still the most competitive game of the conference finals so far. If you combine the East... And the West, we're seven games in. None of the games have been even as close as last night's game was. Now, let's face it, last night's game was not a good game. I mean, that's how weird and boring a game that was. LeBron had 44, and barely anybody noticed. And that's not to crack on LeBron. It's to the point that he's doing this so often in the postseason, it's not even a thing anymore. Oh, and a guy had a 44 playoff game or a point playoff game? Whatever. That's nice. Didn't notice. Didn't even know. It kind of says something about the game when the best highlight from that game was an actual outlet pass. Smart for a contested three that rattles up and out. Love rebounds, a good one. Long outlet pass to LeBron in traffic. Makes the catch, puts it up and in. Oh, what a catch. LeBron had three Celtics draped all over him in the paint. Caught the 80-foot pass. Cavs radio. I mean, that says something, right? I mean, that said, that was an awesome pass. I mean, one of the greatest outlet passes you'll ever see. Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are not placing that pass any better than Kevin Love just did. And certainly they're not doing it with a chess pass. But just because Love made that look easy does not mean that it is, because we know it's not. When was the last time you threw a chess pass 80 feet on a dime? Let me answer that for you. Never. Guys don't do that. But what last night lacked in drama or interest, it did make up in novelty like Kyle Korver suddenly turning into Dikembe Mutombo and swatting Jalen Brown, not once, not twice, three times. The guy with one of the smoothest jumpers in the game suddenly turned into one of the nastiest shot blockers in the league. Kyle Korver, Brown blocked by Korver. How about that? He's a competitor on the defensive end. You can go at him, but he's not going to quit. After the game, Ty Lue. Had nothing but praise for his 36-year-old vet. 
until Rachel Nichols told him he's not 36. Just can't say enough about him and, you know, the veteran guys that we've had to come through here like Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson and James Jones, and they know what it takes and understand what it takes to win. He's 37 now? Yeah. God. <laughs> and we playing him too many minutes. <laughs> we need him, though. <laughs> we need him. I like it, Ty. I like it. And it wasn't just that Kyle Korver was in Jalen Brown's head. The Celtics were in their own heads. I mean, that was a full-on implosion and meltdown of the highest order. It had everything you look for in a meltdown. Missed dunks, check. Bricked layups, check. They missed a total of 15 shots right around the rim. They couldn't finish anything at all. You know how hard you have to work to pull that off? You you need to kill yourself to be that bad at finishing. 15 layups or dunks that they could not convert. But there was more. Chucking the ball out of bounds. Taking shots too early in the shot clock. Picking up stupid fouls. Check, check, check. In other words, the Celtics were pretty unCeltic like Scary Terry. Very unscary. Terry Rozier has been an absolute legend throughout the postseason for his fearlessness on both ends. But ever since that series switched to Cleveland, that rep has taken a huge hit. Cleveland was going right at him on defense hunting him whenever they could to find him on a switch and make him pay. And then he'd give it right back to them on the other end of the floor by going 6 of 15 from the field. You combine that with Marcus Smart's 2 for 8 performance, and you've got a Brad Stevens problem, a Brad Stevens nightmare. I mean, those two guys have been so clutch, so impressive throughout the playoffs, and then they fell apart at the worst possible time. So now Cleveland feels like a different team. Boston also feels like a different team, and suddenly this feels like a weird, weird series. Normally weird is good. Weird's not good in this case. And if you think Boston-Cleveland is weird, try imagining Cleveland-Golden State Part 4 and what that might be like. Because that series, which seemed nearly impossible on Friday, is getting closer and closer to being a reality. George McPhee is my guest. George, it is so good to have you back on. Thanks for doing it. How are you? I'm doing well, Jim. Thank you. Thank you, George. I got to ask you, what was going through your mind Sunday as the clock ticked down and finally hit triple zeros and you knew that the Vegas Golden Knights were going to the Stanley Cup final? Well, with about one minute to play, the puck went down into the other zone. I looked up at the clock and said, geez, we've got a chance to win this. And... uh uh, I didn't feel like that all the way through the game, obviously. You, you worry about the things that can go wrong. We were playing well. It looked a lot better on television the next day when I watched uh, the replay. But during the game, uh, it's white-knuckle time. Um, but with about a minute to go, I thought, geez, we've got a chance to win this thing. And then when we did win it, I turned to my assistant GM and said, holy smokes, we're in the Stanley Cup final. You are in the Stanley. Yeah, I was going to say, George, you certainly are. And I would say this on the outside looking in, it does not seem like there's any sense of just being happy to be there. I mean, after winning the Western Conference, it seemed like every guy in your dressing room was talking about how hungry they still were, how they had not really done that much yet. So how do you explain that attitude and the fact that everybody in that room seems to share it? You know, Jim, they've been that way all year long, and uh, uh, it's been a really level-headed group. Uh, we have terrific leadership, and uh, Flurry has been a big part of this with his experience in the playoffs, and I went to congratulate him uh, after the game. He said, we've still got a long way to go here, and sort of sets things straight right off the bat. But uh, it's, it's a, we have enough players that have been around long enough that they understand that just getting there isn't enough. Uh, no one wants that. We want to get there and win. 
George McPhee, my guest. These guys also understand that the last four are the toughest four. And the other thing that keeps coming up, George, from the players is how much fun they've had this year, that it's the most fun they've ever had. So I'm curious, from where you're sitting, what has this season been like for you? Is it fun? Is it stressful? Or maybe is it something else? Well, as a manager, you're always, you know, I said this before, you're sort of, you've got your fingers crossed hoping it doesn't all turn to dust within a week. Uh, and I, I was like that all year long. But I would have to say that this really has been fun. Um, there was no pressure on this team. There were no expectations. Um, and that's a different way to play, to be honest with you. And, uh, um, you know, it, it just, it's just gone well from from day one. Uh, um, you know, it, it, everybody came here looking for opportunity. Every position was in play, other than the starting goaltender, and um, everybody was looking for that that second chance. And people say, you know, how did this happen? In some ways, it's hard to explain. In other ways, it's really simple. You know, we had a lot of players that felt rejected by their former clubs for being exposed. You had a manager and a coach that were fired. And you put them all together and give them opportunity, and sometimes some amazing things can happen. You know, we had a tragedy in October, one that sort of bonded a team in, in a way that, that no other team can be bonded and, and unfortunately born out of tragedy. But um, that's where we started, and, and, uh, and it's just been one of those years where, you know, we, we just seem to find ways to win. Vegas Golden Knights GM George McPhee joining us once again. And George, Lightning head coach John Cooper, who I know you've got a great deal of respect for, said the other day that what you've done is, quote, a success story is what it is. It's not a Cinderella story. It's a success story. So let me ask you, does it feel like a Cinderella story or more of a story of having a vision and then going out and executing on that vision? I think the latter, Jim. I, you know, we, we, we did have a vision. I can say that when we came here that I, I had uh, – uh, you know some ideas of how we want to do the hiring, how what kind of models we are going to use for different departments. Um, things changed along the way, and we and you know I was open minded enough, enough to to do different things with the in, in hiring and and uh, in our departments. But we had a very very clear vision of what we wanted to do. Uh, said a number of times we didn't want to be an embarrassment. We didn't want to be a doormat. We wanted to be a good team. We wanted to give this marketplace a chance. But we really put a lot of emphasis on culture, 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 and it's, you know, it's it's and it's an overused term and sometimes cliche with certain people. But we we really emphasize getting the best human talent and really good people to work with in every position in the organization. And we weren't going to make any exceptions, and and we put it together, and we were extraordinarily well organized. And it's working. The Tuesday episode of the Daily Jungle is brought to you by Fan Exchange. If you're in the market for tickets right now, be it a game or a concert or a show, you got to get those tickets from Fan Exchange. For a safe, easy, and reliable experience, tickets purchased on Fan Exchange are always guaranteed. No getting to the gate and worrying about getting in. Fan Exchange gets you closer to the action. Game five in Boston, they've got tickets. Drake's tour with Migos, they have tickets. Hamilton, coast to coast, you already know they have tickets. Find the very best seats at the very best prices at fanexchange.com. Use the promo code Rome. That's promo code Rome and get 50% off the service fees on your next purchase. Fan Exchange, we have tickets. Fan Exchange, promo code Rome. 
See, George, that's the thing, right? I think a lot of people have a vision. A lot of managers have a plan, but that doesn't mean that it's going to work. I mean, how have you been able to work that plan and get everybody else in the organization on the same page and to work that plan and implement it so quickly? Well, it starts with the owner. Uh, and I had a good feeling about Bill when we interviewed and everything else. I said a number of times I didn't know what I was getting into when I came here and then saw everything that we had and thought, boy, with everything that this marketplace has, you know, we've got a chance to win. But this owner has listened to me. It, you know, I, I have the experience and and I had thoughts on how we should do this. And every, everything that I've asked for, he's. It, there's been no hesitation. It's always been do it, go ahead, do it. You've got my support. And we've, you know, we've put a command structure in place here and set everything up the way that we thought it should be done. And we hired some really good people and just got a terrific hockey operations department. And it's worked, but it starts with that vision. And then the owner backed it up, did not meddle, only helped. And it's permeated the whole organization. And it's been a really sort of well-oiled machine. Best owner ever. His GM, that's all he can ask for, right? Let me do my job. Yeah. Give me the tools that I need and right. have faith. And that's what he's you doing. Don't, you don't, you're right, Jim. You don't get that very often in sports. You, a lot of people think managers uh, have that, that latitude. But, boy, it's, it's, you don't get that very often owners uh, often with owners. A lot of them uh, get too involved. No, I think that's very unusual. George McPhee joining us. You know, George, we're not on the inside, but from the outside, it seemed like to a lot of people that at the trade deadline, you were going to be probably more of a seller than a buyer, yet you were bringing in pieces, including Ryan Reeves, who scored that game winner in Game 5 on Sunday. I know you're not going to take credit for the goal, but how satisfying was it to see Reeves have that moment? Well, it, 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 it makes you feel good as a manager. Um, obviously, you know, uh, Tatar scored a big goal in Game 2, and Reeves scored a huge goal in game five, um, we we had to add at the deadline. These guys had played their guts out all year. They had played well. We we're that deep into the season that this team was for real. We had a lot of injuries at that time, and we had a lot of players playing injured, and we had to add some pieces, and we did. And, you know, you cross your fingers and you make your moves and you hope they work. And so far, so good. You know, you talked about what the culture is like. Reeves also talked about how the players are calling themselves the golden misfits. Last month, you and I talked about that culture. You mentioned the culture again this morning, the culture you were looking to develop when you put together that roster. So now that it's taken form, how powerful is this particular culture with this group? Well, I really believe that culture can be sort of the ultimate difference maker, the ultimate competitive advantage. Uh, it's sort of an invisible difference maker. You know, you can have two teams on the ice that are identical in talent, and but the, the team with the best culture is probably going to be the one that prevails more often than not. And we just made it clear that wherever you are in this organization, you do things right. Um, you don't look the other way if things are addressed right on, you know, head on. And we do things right. And the players uh, uh, have come up with their own sort of culture where we are the golden misfits. Um, and that's fine with us. And it, it seems to work for everyone. So uh, we'll, we'll continue to, to utilize it. George, before I let you go, you were with Vancouver when the Canucks went to the Stanley Cup final back in 1994. You were GM of the Capitals when they went to the final in 98. So what's it like to be back once again? Does it feel different this time? It does. Uh, I, 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 you know, it's been 20 years. You know, you, you think it's easy to get here. I was there in '94, was there in '98, and figured it's going to happen again in the next three or four years, and we'll win it. And 
It doesn't work that way. It's been 20 years. And so I've learned a lot more about the game, just being in the game. Have better. I know what to expect now, and and I guess I'm a little more level-headed and understanding now than, than 20 years ago and knowing what's going on. But you just don't get here very often, and I certainly appreciate it and I'm really, really grateful that we're here. But I also know what it's like to get here and lose and don't want any part of that. It's, mm. it's, it's you know, come a long way to lose. It isn't worth it. Uh, you got to get here and you got to win. So finally, you've got to wait to find out right now if you face the Lightning or the Caps. I know you've respected John Cooper for a long time, just as I know Washington is a place where you were GM and you've had a lot of success there too. So what kind of thoughts do you have as you wait to find out who you're going to play? Our thoughts are, uh, Jim, are obvious. We're just going to focus on our own club, and we're, whoever we're, we're getting is going to be one hell of a team, and uh, and it's going to be a battle. But uh, we'll fo- focus on our club and make sure that we're playing our best, and we'll see what develops. Vegas Golden Knights on the way to the Stanley Cup final. Their GM, George McPhee, my guest. George, I know it's a busy time. So good to visit with you once again. Congrats, and nice to have you back on the show. I really appreciate your time, George. Thank you for having me, Jim. Be well. Rockets, Warriors, Game 4 tonight. There is no way I am leaving the house for groceries. So here's a question for you. How would you like to shop for organic groceries without paying top dollar? You can bypass those overpriced local markets and shop at Thrive Market. It's a revolutionary online marketplace on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everybody. They have everything you need, whether your diet's paleo, gluten-free, vegan, kosher, and even personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, safe and non-toxic beauty products, organic baby food, kids products, and more. In fact, much, much more. Anything you need. Click on a product and you'll see things like why you'll love it, price comparisons to retail, nutritional information, and more. So you can shop knowing that you are getting the best ingredients, the most affordable prices, and that it's all safe for your family. And best of all, Thrive Market's prices are already up to 50% off, and now they're giving you an extra $60 in free groceries plus free shipping. Get 60 bucks of free organic groceries plus free shipping and a 30-day trial. You got to move on this right now. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Rome. That's thrivemarket.com slash Rome. If I'm talking about somebody going into the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame, probably not a good thing. And if it has to do with a plaque for an inductee into the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame, then you know it's not a good thing. In fact, it's probably a bad thing. And it is. Let's start with the facts. Brandy Chastain is being inducted into the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame. An extremely well-deserved honor. I mean, she's an absolute titan in sports history and in Bay Area history. She's from San Jose. She won three straight high school soccer championships at Archbishop Mitty. She went on to become an All-American at Cal. She transferred to Santa Clara. She led them to a pair of Final Four appearances. And then even after all that, all she did was rack up nearly 200 international caps win a couple of Olympic gold medals, a couple of World Cups, and had the most iconic moment in American soccer history with a World Cup winning penalty in the 1999 World Cup. Extremely well decorated. All of that is to say, first of all, I'm wondering exactly what took so long for that crew at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame to get around to putting her in. And now we have an answer. Apparently, they were waiting on the plaque Because the plaque 
went viral this morning, and it went viral for all the wrong reasons. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've seen this online and on Twitter, you know what I'm talking about. Would you look at that? And if you'd like to know why that plaque has been taking so much heat, here is Grant Wall with a side-by-side of Brandy Chastain, the person, and Brandy Chastain, the plaque. Look at these two things side-by-side. One of these things is not like the other. And it's already being compared to that Ronaldo monstrosity in Portugal that even haunts my dreams. They don't give a damn about soccer. Look at that guy. Look at Ronaldo and the plaque, if you're watching on TV. And, of course, Twitter lives for this sort of thing. Twitter had a field day. Twitter said that the plaque looks like pretty much anything other than Brandy Chastain. Jay Busby, as an example, tweeted, If you ever wondered what Bill Belichick smiling up from a sewer grate would look like, look no further than the Hall of Fame plaque of Brandy Chastain. Jason, what am I doing getting inducted into the Barrier Hall of Fame? Jason Davis tweeted, quote, I don't know about Brandy Chastain, but they nailed Mickey Rooney. Thomas Goldcamp, quote, I'm just saying, I've never seen Brandy Chastain and Jim McElwain in the same room. A.K.A. Shark Humper. I haven't seen something get roasted that badly on Twitter since that time James Harden broke out those kicks that look like burned baked potatoes. Nothing has gone as badly for anybody on Twitter since then. And I know what you're probably expecting me to do. Just jump right in. Start piling on that sculptor or whoever it was that was responsible for that. And again, you've got me wrong. I'm not that guy. I know you want me to be that guy. But then again, why do you really care if I am or I'm not? Because you are that guy. But I'm not going to be. And I'll tell you why. Because as the great Teddy Roosevelt once said, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes up short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. Now I could go on, but I'm here to defend the honor of that sculptor, whoever it is. That was wrong with you people. You see a glass that's half empty. I always see one that's half full. You know that about me. You see a bust that looks like Jimmy Carter. I see a bust that has two eyes and a nose and teeth. Lots and lots of teeth. Man, those are key to a person's face. And this artist captured that. Sort of. Hey, look, for some reason, Brandy Chastain appears to be wearing some sort of clerical collar in the bust. And yes, she is rocking a Mo Howard haircut. But your point is what? Your point is, yeah, I got a question. Are you perfect at your gig? Are you perfect at your job? Oh, I forgot that I was dealing with a bunch of Michelangelo's here. Unless your name is Da Vinci, I suggest you stand the hell down. You're rushing in with your hate and your criticism. You're rushing in to smash the artist. Me, I'm looking to build people up. Yes, it looks like a bust 
of some 70-year-old man. But could you do better? Unless your name is Donatello. I doubt that. And give this artist a break. And yes, I said artist. Maybe the artist only had 15 minutes to get it done. Maybe the artist thought that the paperwork said Babe Ruth and not Brandy Chastain. I don't know the backstory, but neither do you. So don't come in here with your jokes about how it looks more like the late Bobby the Brain Heenan or a young Boris Yeltsin. I'm not interested. I don't care. And yes, the Hall of Fame should probably do as they're reportedly doing and replace that plaque with something that actually looks vaguely like Brandy Chastain. But only because Brandy Chastain deserves it, not because you jackals deserve it. And before you throw away that heinous bust, let's have a conversation. I might be willing to take that off your hands. If you work on a hot, dusty job site or in a loud, wet kitchen, you know how tough it can be to communicate clearly. But now with new Post-it Extreme Notes, you can get that message across and you can get that job done in any weather condition, including rain, heat, and humidity. I'm talking in any element whatsoever. New Post-it Extreme Notes are water-resistant. They're made with Durahold paper and adhesive, so they'll stick to pretty much anything at all. Concrete, drywall, raw wood, even brick. So no matter what the task is on that job site, you can get that message across with new Post-it Extreme notes. Look, I'm telling you, I've got these Post-it Extremes all over the office because they're amazing. I stick it, it stays. No more crawling around the floor looking for an important note that fell off the desk. It's right where I left it. Buy them today wherever you get your Post-it notes. New Post-it Extreme notes. Jason, lock and four at JLC. So good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing well, my friend. How are you? Jason, I'm great. I'm really great. Listen, before you and I talk football, I just had George McPhee on the program, and I couldn't respect this guy anymore. I think he's one of the best executives in all of sports, but you and George go way back. In fact, exactly how far back do you go with him? We go back to my freshman year of college, so wow. 1992, when... Uh, I went to Syracuse, and they just got an AHL team for the first time in forever that year, the Syracuse Crunch, who were the top affiliate of the Vancouver Canucks. And the Vancouver Canucks assistant general manager was George McPhee. Um, I believe Pat Quinn was running the show at that time, so George would be in Syracuse quite a bit, checking out their prospects, and especially the 94 season, um, the 94-95 season with the lockout when Mike Pekka, a lot of guys who would have probably been in the NHL otherwise were in the AHL because, um, you know, the, the NHL season didn't end up starting until about January of that year. So, yeah, I've known George for a long time. I covered the Washington Capitals for the Washington Post for five years while George was the Caps GM. Um, and it's, it's great to see him, you know, doing what he's done in Vegas and them giving him the time they gave him to assemble everything really from scratch and, uh, you know, spend a year sort of figuring things out and then obviously putting the team together through the expansion draft and trades. I mean, it's people compare it to, like, 68 and the Blues. This is They had a whole expansion conference then for the most part. You know what I mean? Like, it was a it was guaranteed an expansion team was going to make the Stanley Cup when they moved from the original six. So, to me, this is... This is unprecedented, and, and obviously what the Jags did quickly with Tom Coughlin and you know the Panthers, we've seen some expansion teams in football become competitive quickly, but they, I mean, <laughs> they're running roughshod through the playoffs. It's, it's unbelievable. 
It's one of the best sports stories I've ever seen. I hate that comparison, by the way, to 68 and St. Louis. It's nothing like that whatsoever. And GLC, to see you doing what you're doing on the NFL beat right now, it makes me even happier to know that you covered the Caps for the Post for five years. And I can only imagine what it was like as a young journo to get that beat, the AHL Syracuse Crunch beat back in the day. Let me ask you about OTAs. Now, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski did not show up for the Pats OTAs. Aaron Donald was not at the Rams OTAs. How much should people panic when they hear about star players not showing up for these voluntary workouts? Not one bit. I mean, it's, it's, it's about the money. And if these teams truly thought OTAs mattered for these players, Jim, if they really thought they mattered one iota, a damn thing, and I wrote a column at length about this yesterday, then why aren't they trying to get them signed now? Why are they perfectly content to wait until July or August and when everybody's back from vacation and then let's get it done before the start of camp or let's get it done before week one? You know why? Because OTAs don't matter. I mean, we've, we've get so wrapped up in the NFL where we've come to sort of mythologize everything about it and blow everything out of proportion. And Oh, this guy had a great day of practice. He caught 12 balls today in shorts and shells in May against air. I mean, I, 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 I'm sorry. And especially for guys like Tom Brady and, and Julio Jones, and I don't even care, if, you know, and Aaron Donald, and if you want to say, oh, well, this team's doing something different this year and it's a new scheme. I mean, OTAs are a way to babysit young players and keep your eye on them and take attendance and monitor injuries and try to help guys stay out of trouble through a six-month offseason. They're the least meaningful thing in the world. I'm sorry. And, and it, Tom Brady's not there because – they're not paying him enough money to be there. And when you're the, the best quarterback in the history of the world, and you're the, you're, you got Blake Bortles and Tyrod Taylor and Ryan Tannehill all set to make more money than him this year, coming off an MVP season and a year in which he lost everything around him, multiple starting receivers, his leading running back, his left tackle, uh, yeah, get together and pay with him. And, when, and, and pay him. And when Robert Kraft thinks football really matters again, by that point, He'll have made right with Gronk, and he'll have made right with Brady, and the Rams will do what they have to do to make Donald the highest-paid defensive player in the world. And we'll see if the Giants pay Odell. Odell's there for one reason, because he has to be there to try to get paid. It's a little different than Brady and these other guys, given all the off-season stuff with him. But I got news for you. If he puts on a good face for the next month and shows up for everything and doesn't have a new contract by training camp, I don't think he'll be there then, and I don't think anybody will be able to say, oh, well, the Giants are going to be better this year because Odell was there for OTAs. Get out of here. I agree. GLC joining us. You're right. They don't need to be there. Tom Brady especially does not need to be there. Jason, you mentioned some of the guys that are making more money than him at the same position. It's them and a lot of other guys. He's currently the 18th highest paid quarterback in the NFL. So where do you think Brady's head is right now when it comes to the Pats and in particular to his contract? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at everything I just mentioned. You have to look at the state of that roster and and the transition that you're in. You have to look at the economics and the ever-broadening economics of the quarterback position where Cousins is getting, you know, $90 million basically fully guaranteed and he's never won a playoff game and never even thrown a pass for the Minnesota Vikings. And Brady's old understudy, Jimmy Garoppolo, well, Tom's agent, Don Yee, who also represents Jimmy G, goes out and gets him, you know, uh, a record-setting uh, standard for a new contract at any position, and the guy's only started five games for the 49ers. And Brady's always been a guy who has been willing to do things and structure things a certain way to help the team. But when you've just literally punched Father Time in the face at age 40 and done what he's done 
and carried a team that did not have a great roster as far as he did. And they can't make one stop on defense besides that interception to win a Super Bowl, which is probably all it would have taken. And you trade Cooks away, and you're hoping Gronk stays healthy, and you got Edelman coming back from surgery again, and Amendola's out the door with Cooks, and Deion Lewis, who, you know, caught everything Brady threw his way and helped them have a top three first down rushing. You know, they averaged 4.8 a carry on first down last year. It had a lot to do with that offense being that balanced. And he's gone, and the left tackle's gone. Then if I'm Tom Brady, I'm spending time with Giselle right now. I'm enjoying my family. I'm working on my, you know, plyometrics and, and all that stuff with Tom House. And I'm waiting to see what Bob Kraft puts together in Foxborough. Jason Lockenfora joining us here in the jungle. GLC, let me skip down to your annual review of the starting quarterbacks in the league, where you break down every starting quarterback in the NFL into different tiers. I want to drill down on one guy on that list, Dak Prescott. He had a huge rookie season and then not such a huge second season. As you look at the numbers on his performance last year, what stuck out to you the most? They still don't get the ball downfield with any regularity. I mean, he attempted fewer passes his second year that traveled 20 yards or more in the air than he did his first year, and they were already the bottom of the year league in the first year. Now, I get it. Dez, declining asset, right? Nobody wants Dez right now. And Witten was at the end, and he's obviously retired, and you can only throw to Cole Beasley so much, and Dak missed some games. I get all that. And I think Dak Prescott could end up being, an, you know, an absolute stud, but I, I, I don't – I guess I, I'm not as caught up in the Dak hype as some other people just because – I, he also took a lot of sacks in the red zone, like red zone, and then the ability to make an explosive play to change momentum in a game. Um, now, they're going to run the ball 500 times a year with Zeke, so that should set up plenty of play action and opportunities for him, no matter who the outside receivers are, to do something. And I, I want to see a little more development in, in that regard. He should be totally protected by the, by the run game, and the offensive line slipped a little last year, but it, it's still darn good compared to what most of the league has going on. So, yeah, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for a continued evolution to talk about him being in, you know, one of those top two tiers. Yeah, but in terms of his evolution, what about those outside guys you're talking about? I mean, for instance, he's not going to have Jason Witten. He's not going to have Dez, even if he is a declining asset. And, you know, when you look at the receivers he has around him, does he have the weapons that he needs to deal with teams that are inevitably going to load up in the box to stop Ezekiel Elliott? I, I, I Look, I have great trepidation about the construction of the Dallas Cowboys, which is another reason. It's not Dak's fault, obviously. He's not making those calls, but it's another reason why I'm, I'm sort of pumping the brakes and, and uh, being willing to anoint him as a top-ten quarterback because I, I don't believe – I don't think Tony Romo ever really had a whole lot around him. You know, it was a couple of years at T.O. before that blew up, and then, you know, he got Dez for a few years, but, uh, I, I mean, they couldn't run the ball back then a lot of the time, you know, and the offensive line was – terrible, which led to them investing all those first-round picks in the offensive line, but unfortunately for Tony, he was hurt more often than not by the time they really got that group together. So, I, I, I don't like that. I mean, even with, you know, with what they did in the draft and, you know, adding some kids in and, and, and the second round, third round, whatever, I, I, I don't like their group of skill players. I didn't like it with Dez and Witten there because they weren't getting any better and I didn't really think you could expect a whole lot out of them. So, But saying all that, I mean, if, if they're putting nine in the box and, you know, you're sending three guys out to a pattern, somebody should be running. You know, somebody should be able to get open. I mean, somebody, you should be able to hit some plays on play action and, and, and expand the scope somewhat. I, I mean, because they're going to be daring you to do it. And, and let's see how that plays out. 
Jason Lockenford joins us. One last thought, JLC. You write also about Andrew Luck. So let me ask you about this. Let's take a step back for a minute. As of last month, he still was not throwing a regulation football. So what do you make of where he is right now? And then what's a reasonable expectation for him this season? I, I, I mean, I, I think a reasonable expectation is that, you know, he, he gets back to being an NFL starting quarterback. Does that mean for all 17 weeks? I, I don't have that expectation. I don't know that the Colts do. I mean, with, it, it, he really is, is the same place he was a year ago, albeit I, I guess they know a little bit more about the depth and scope of the injury. They know how he responded or didn't respond the last time around. So I, I would think that's all part of an edification process that hopefully moves the ball down the road further than he got last year. But it's, it's still going to be incremental. And last year when he started throwing, he could never advance to the point where he was throwing a full route tree on multiple days. You know, in a row, he, he wasn't throwing consecutive days. He wasn't throwing, you know, every pattern. He wasn't testing his arm in every way. They never got there. So it, until he gets there and then gets through that and then puts the practice jersey on for non-contact and then gets through that and then, you know, and then gets out there. I don't even think – I don't necessarily know he would even play in a preseason game one way or the other, but then gets put in a full-contact situation, and you have to see how that plays out. We, we – we just don't know. I mean, everything I've heard is that, you know, they believe he's on the right track and he, he, he is making slow and steady progress, but there's a lot of hurdles he's got to clear before he plays a game. I was extremely honored and humbled to be a nominee for the National Radio Hall of Fame. You might be wondering, yeah, we heard you the first time, Rome. We get it. You're honored and you're humbled. Nice alliteration, Rome. Why are you still talking about it? I get that. I know why you might say that. The reason I'm still talking about it is my category is going to be decided by a vote. And not just a vote, but a vote from you. A vote from the listener. So it goes to the listeners. Everybody in my category needs votes to get in. And I'm the last guy to launch some shameless, whack campaign and make it all about me. But the problem is, what choice do I really have? Everybody in my category is going to do that because if you want in, essentially you have to call attention to it and get the vote. Curry the vote. Listen, I'll be honest about this. I would love to be in the Radio Hall of Fame. It's an amazing honor. I mean, it's, you know, aside from my family, I mean, this is my life work. This is what I've always wanted to do. This is where I've applied myself. This is what I've gone after. I love it. I've had an amazing run. That run's not going to end anytime soon either, by the way. I'm one of those guys like, you're not going to have to rip the microphone out of my cold, dead hands. But I want to do this as long as I can because I still love it. I mean, hell, they still pay me to talk sports and interview athletes. What's not to love about that? Anyway, I'm not looking for an off-ramp. I'm not looking for this to be some kind of swan song. Whether this happens or not, I'm going to bust my ass for another 15 or 20 years. You're stuck. You're stuck with me. I'm not going anywhere. I love this. However, it would be an amazing honor, an amazing honor. But the only way in is through you. So initially I thought, you know what? This will be great. It'll be another momentous achievement that the best audience in radio can help me run down. I mean, we've done so much of this together. Back in the day, we sold out arenas together. We went syndicated together. We lit the iTunes podcast charts on fire together. How amazing would it be if we went into the Hall of Fame together? 
So the idea of doing this together is great. Would mean the world to me. And I know it would mean the world to some of you. Some of you. The relationship you and I built over the past three decades is enough for some of you to pull out the blower, thumb out a vote for me when the polls open up officially June 4th. Can you make a note of that too? June 4th. You can't vote today. They open officially June 4th. And it means the world to me. I can't say how much I appreciate that. Because many of you are about the right stuff. But then I quickly realized and remembered pretty quickly, many of you are not about the right stuff. Many of you are about you. Many of you want something in return in the event that you somehow get me in. And if we're being honest here, who's got the leverage? Who's got the hammer? I've talked about this so many times. Sometimes you have it. Sometimes you don't. Who's got it now? You do. The voter does. Because I need something from you. Now you have something that I need. You don't need anything from me. Not in this regard. So I need to do something that's going to ensure that you all tattoo the ballot box for me. And as much as I want to get in on merit alone, track record alone, years of due diligence alone, I can't risk it. I can't chance it. I got to lock up that selfish, degenerate vote. So I floated this idea yesterday. And after sleeping on it, I've decided to go through with this. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to slide a blank piece of paper and a fountain pen across the desk. You are going to write down your list of demands. And if you get me into the Hall of Fame next month, and this is coming up fast, be ready to do this. If you get me in, I will make good on those demands, or at least some of those demands. So here's exactly how it's going to work. So there is no confusion. Between today and Friday, June 1st, you can tweet or email me a demand. Hell, demands, plural. We'll write them all down. We'll write them all down. We'll keep them all on the same list. All the ones we receive between now and Friday, June 1st. On Monday, June 4th, when the voting polls open, I will put every demand into a hat. I will randomly pull five of them live on the show that day. The five demands that I draw from the hat are the five demands that I pay off and honor if and only if you get me into the Hall of Fame. Here's the deal, though. No Romageddon retreads. It happened. It's over. It was a one-off. Don't go looking for a segment a bum smack. Don't be looking for personal appearance smack. Don't look for the return of the family. Don't make me play Toby in Houston's call again. Not happening. I mean, use it as an opportunity to get something else out of me. Be original. Think of something you want to hear or want me to do and tweet it. At Jim Rome. Email me. Rome at Habitate.com. Do both. Do both. So far, people have already jumped in. Here are some of the suggestions. They want me to give up who that rapper was who hit on Janet in Beverly Hills one night. I was not there. Fair demand. Others have said that if I'm in... I have to appear on the wood scopes. That plays too. Somebody yesterday said they wanted Hawk to take down that filthy rug on his upper lip. He said he's game. Frankly, Hawk, you should just do it anyway. But put it out there. Another person wants me to finally let the clones pick the name of my next horse. Of course, if I do that, you're going to name it Bohica. But I'm willing to risk it. This is how badly I want this. 
Somebody tweeted that they want me to give the name of that absolute dump of a city that I visited with my dad on a college recruiting trip. I might do that. Point is, I'm willing to play your game, but I still make the rules. All right? So start submitting your demands through Twitter and email. I'm not asking for something for nothing. I will pay it off. I will pay it off. Write them down. Tweet them. Email me. We'll write them down. All the way up until June 1st. And then on June 4th, when the polls open up, I will randomly pick the five demands live on the air. You get me. You get me in. I'll meet your demands. Normally, I do not negotiate with you clones. Everything here is non-negotiable. What I say goes. You know, and sometimes you change my mind. Not this time. Not this time. I need you more than ever, clones. Don't act like this wasn't exactly what you wanted. Let's do this. Let me see your terms. Because I can't just sit around acting like 30 years of great content was good enough for your vote. It is for some of you, but not all of you. And I need all of you if we're all going in together. Let's do this, clones. Clones, listen. If not for me, freaking do it for you. For you. The greatest flex job ever ever would be you putting me in and we all go in together show your strength clones show your power show how rabid you are show how you can mobilize show the world how strong you are get it apparently he's got his own list of demands let's find out justin what's going on man Glad you're awake. Romy, John, John and Huntington Beach might not need anything, but I'm fat, I'm divorced, and I buy my sunglasses from CVS, so as much as I love you, I do have a list of demands. You got I know it. this first one is going to be great. You're going to want to stop me right there, but I got two, so let them play out, brother. One, we get you into the hall, which is going to happen. You get a tat of Adam Hawk's likeness anywhere on your body. Option one, Romy. Two, I come to SoCal, you carnap it out with me, for 15 minutes. Have your pick. Kevin Harvick is my guest. Let me ask you about Saturday night. You went into Saturday night as the hottest driver, having won the previous two points races, but there's a new competition package for the All-Star race. So I'm curious, going into Saturday night, what kind of thoughts were you thinking about that package and the settings? Well, we knew, we knew the package was coming, and, and I think as you look at um, you know, the, the way that the weather shook out over the weekend, on Friday we didn't have any really any practice before we qualified, and, and uh, qualifying, we you know we went out and had the the full speed pit stops with no uh, pit road speed, and then we come back Saturday morning to practice, and and we knew that uh, that the package was going to, going to be substantially different. Uh, it had a restrictor plate on the engine, slowed the cars down about uh, 30 miles an hour compared to what we had in the past. So, um, you know, I think as you as you look at the All Star race, and I had to go back and watch it myself because I wanted to have an opinion from outside the car, just as a fan watching the race. It was it was a lot of fun to watch. So. You know, it was um, different than probably what you've seen uh, from a NASCAR race over the, over the past several years, uh, especially at, at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. So uh, a lot of drafting, um, slower speeds, but on TV I, I, couldn't really, I couldn't really tell that the cars were even really going that much slower. And, and I think, um, you know, for me sitting inside the car, um, you know, it felt a lot like Daytona and, and Talladega with the style of race that we had. But it also had some – a blend of, of handling as you would get later into the runs and, and you'd see people 
uh, coming and going and passing as their cars would handle better and worse. So it was a very interesting race. I think it's a I think it's a great data point. You know, I think when you look at NASCAR, you know, three to five years from now, I think you'll look back at the the 2018 All Star race and say that's where uh, NASCAR, the competition, started going in a different direction. And I think that that all-star race will be the start of it. Kevin Harvick joining us. That was your second all-star win. Now, listen, I never like to talk about prize money or checks on the show, but the all-star race does come with a pretty nice payout. Is it true that when your son Keelan woke up and saw the trophy, his reaction was, cool trophy, where's the money? And if so, so, what was your reaction? Yeah, that's a true story. So usually I bring the trophies home and, and... you know, he's kind of a trophy critic. So he, he, I bring him in the door, and I set him on the counter, and this one was so big that I had to set it on the ground. And so we got home late in the morning. He didn't uh, – late at night, and uh, he didn't get up until early in the morning. So he came down and saw the trophy because he wasn't at the race. He's like, man, that's a cool trophy, Dad. He's like, where's the, where's the million dollars? So over the last couple of days, I'm like, why, why does he keep asking me about this million dollars? Well, apparently the all-star race and the monster – uh, commercials that they've had. There's this black bag that they throw on the start finish line. So he thinks that he thinks that the million dollars is in that bag, and I was supposed to bring that bag home with the money in it. So I guess that's great <laughs> advertising. I guess that's super. You better make sure he hasn't spent that money already. Maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah. Well, Kay. he's gonna have to. He's going to have to do a little more around the house to, to earn that kind of money, and he's going to have to go get a real job. Kevin Harvick joining us. We have that conversation in my house, too, all the time. Now, earlier this month, you passed defending champion Martin Truex Jr. with one lap to go at Kansas. You said afterwards that you have not been that excited to win a race all year. You've done a lot of winning already going into Kansas. So what was it about that race that had you fired up that much? Well, look, I'm a, I'm a race fan in, in general, and, and, you know, I think as a competitor, when, when you look at that adrenaline and that, um, you know, emotion that, that runs with those last lap passes and, you know, um, the, the excitement that, that comes with all that, for, for me, that's really what drives me to sit in the car and do what I do on a weekly uh, basis is those moments of adrenaline rushes, and, and I guess you're kind of like an adrenaline junkie in a, in a different way, but it's, it's competition for me, and and those moments are the ones that, that really make me want to get back in the car and, and achieve those types of things because there's nothing like being in the, in the heat of the moment and, and passing somebody on the last lap and uh, making that dramatic move and getting out of the car and hearing the crowd roar and uh, seeing your team guys high-fiving each other and, and just feeling like you accomplished something that was just a cool moment. And, and you know, those are the, like I say, those are the types of situations that, that I love to be a part of and, and make it a lot of fun. Listen, you're a sports fan, and you understand this. When you talk about sports, any sport at all, there's always talk about momentum and the fact that success breeds success. When you've won six of 13 races the way you have and you're putting up the results that you're putting up right now, how much momentum are you bringing to the track each and every day? Well, right now it's contagious with my team. And, you know, I think as, as you look at the things we've been able to accomplish at the beginning of the year right here, you know, it's, it's, it's a situation that, in my opinion, is something that you're going to get to achieve, you know, once, maybe twice in your whole career, and you need to capitalize on it. And I think we're in a unique position that we're five years into this as, as a group, uh, for the most part the same group of guys, five years into my uh, driving career at, at Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, we've got into our, into our second year with, with Ford, and there's just a lot of things that are going really well right now, and I feel like everybody in the shop and everybody at the track that is working on the car, changing the tires, sweeping the floors, everybody wants to just see how much you can actually achieve and how much you can actually do and, and realizes that um, these are situations and 
moments in your life that you aren't going to get to get back, and you need to capitalize on them as much as you can and, and see where it all ends. Kevin Harvick, my guest, for a few more moments. In fact, you're capitalizing on so many things right now and doing so well that when you stack up wins the way you are, there's already talk about possibly making a run at Jeff Gordon's single-season modern-era record for wins. So when you hear that talk, because it is out there, what is your reaction to it? Is it a target you've got in mind, or is that just too far off right now? I love targets. You know, I think as, as you look at goals and, and you look at scenarios that, that give you those, those types of situations, in order to to be in position to do that, you have to have done the things that we've already done this season. So, you know, I think as, as you look at the season and, and the way that it's gone, obviously it can end tomorrow, but it might keep going. So you have to go with the, the thought process and the mindset that we want to win every single week because we feel like our team and our cars are capable of doing that right now. And at some point there's going to be a team and a car and a driver that, that catch you and, and uh, catch up to the performance and, you know, uh, I think the biggest difference between the team that we have right now is not the cars that we're putting on the racetrack. It's the experience of the guys on a team that have been together for five years because I felt like in 2014 we, we could have done the same thing with the performance of our cars, but we just didn't capitalize on those situations and moments and, and get the most out of, out of that particular year. But we did win a championship, um, but we didn't, you know, we didn't win as many races as, as we all thought that we could have. So. You know, I think everybody's been through the high-pressure situations. We've been through a championship year. Um, you know, we've made some mistakes, and, and, and I feel like we've learned from them, and, and I feel like everybody is just at the top of their game right now. Kevin, I mentioned at the very top that the next race is the Coca-Cola 600. It's Sunday, and as part of that, the names of fallen service members are going to be on the windshields of every car this weekend. What's it mean to you to be a part of honoring them in such a manner? Well, I, you know, I think as, as you look at our sport in, in general, um, it's, it's a sport that uh, really pays uh, a lot of tribute and, and takes a lot of time and effort to make sure that we honor our service uh, men and women, um, no matter what the branch. And, and, you know, I think as you look at the Coca-Cola 600 this weekend, uh, you know, representing those uh, military folks that will be on the windshields of all those cars is an honor. Uh, a lot of times uh, you'll, you'll see the, the families of, of uh, you know, these, these fallen soldiers that will be at the racetrack and, you know, it's just a, it's an honor to have them around, but it's, you know, the biggest honor to me is just being a part of the sport and, and seeing how much everybody pays attention to our military and knows how important it is uh, to go out there and support them and, and just happy to be a part of it. Good night now! We've got all the news right here. I'm going to stop you right there. I see you about to settle on a day-old donut for breakfast. Well, this is a chick intervention. Because McChicken Biscuits and Chicken McGriddles are now at McDonald's. So just hit that drive through and change your life. For breakfast, you got this. Wake up breakfast. Say good morning to McChicken for breakfast. Right now at your local McDonald's, you can mix and match two Chicken McGriddles or McChicken Biscuits for just $3. Price and participation may vary at participating McDonald's for a limited time.